Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hello, beautiful people. Today we're talking to Erica Smith. She is a sex educator, speaker, writer, consultant, and the creator of the Purity Culture Dropout Program. Hello, Erica. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. First of all, we're both from Philly. so I feel like I know you already perfect Um, yeah there's a certain um pride that we all have coming from that city yeah (laughs) you still an Eagles fan I mean I don't care about sports at all but I'll I'll rep (laughs) the Eagles till the day I die just out of principle Um, I appreciate more the Princess Diana loved the Eagles jacket and wore that everywhere yeah Yeah, that's very funny that's a she, funny she little that off beautifully. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I really wanted to introduce you all to Erica um, because it's interesting. She's not coming from purity culture herself, but she is coming from, and she can explain this herself as well. Um, a background of 20 years of sex education. So this heart that she has for purity culture survivors and for healing us in this broken area really comes from her expertise and what she has seen has become this enormous problem. And that is the fallout that we're all experiencing from purity culture. And I think it's really interesting, Erica, you said that um, you knew at the time watching people be educated abstinence only or with purity that it was not beneficial and it wasn't good for people. On the other hand, you didn't predict that it would be this detrimental to people. Yeah, absolutely. Can you Um, explain why or or what you saw in the beginning and how you've seen it morph into what it is right now? Yeah. um, So I started, let me just kind of give you a background as to how I even got into being a sex educator. Yeah. So when when I was an undergraduate at Penn State, I was a women's studies major and I studied mostly women's health and reproductive health. So I was very interested in how comprehensive sex education helped people at the time. And one of the earlier jobs I had in my career, which I had for a long time actually, was working with adolescents and giving adolescents adequate sex education and HIV prevention. And when I was studying for my master's degree, which is in human sexuality education, we went on a trip to Europe to talk to people in Germany, France, and the Netherlands about their sex education versus American sex education. And one of the most fascinating things is that the rates of teen pregnancy, teen abortion, and STIs, sexually transmitted infections, among teenagers in those countries is so astronomically low as compared to American teenagers. And the big reason why is because American teenagers have been 
given abstinence only education for several decades now. It's been like how the government was funding sex ed. Um, so we knew like scientifically there's research, there is data that abstinence only sex education does not have the benefits of comprehensive sex education. Um, and I don't think I realized, I knew that it wasn't helpful, but I don't think I realized how unhelpful it was until I started talking to folks who were my Instagram followers who had been raised in purity culture and been raised in religious backgrounds. And they were flooding my DMs with stories of how horrific their sex education had been, how they had been talked to with horrible metaphors that they were chewed up gum and they were unwrapped gifts and they were spit on cups of water. Like, you, you, I'm sure you've heard it all. Come to light for me how much sex education was still necessary for folks raised in purity culture now that they are adults. Well, yeah. So I've done a lot of research into purity culture and its origins and where it came from. Obviously, for a more comprehensive understanding of that, anyone can pick up Linda K. Klein's Pure. She did all the research as well. But um that is the wild thing about it, that our government as a whole participated in abstinence only. And it just keeps blowing my mind again and again that there's no logic in place when it comes to sexuality and legislation because abstinence only education doesn't delay sexual activity at all. Yeah. As a matter of fact, comprehensive tends to delay sexual activity by two years. So everything is like the opposite of what you would think. Everyone fights back at me for being pro-choice and saying I'm a baby killer. But I'm like, I am pro-choice because pro-choice saves lives. It prevents abortion. And just because things sound the opposite, people get confused. I, mm -hmm. wish, I wish just logic was involved in this. Do you have any idea why people in America don't just take the approach of like, let's figure out what genuinely works and embrace that? Why is this so difficult for us? I mean, that is an excellent question because I'm sure you have this opinion too, but comprehensive sex ed and giving folks access to family planning and access to birth control is the only thing that would lower the rate of abortions. So if folks are really concerned about lowering the rate of abortion, they would provide those things. Yeah. Um, but I still think there is almost like a hysteria over the idea of sex and sexuality in this country. I mean, I always say that purity culture exists on a spectrum. There's the extreme end um, that we find in religious communities, like in evangelical and Mormon communities, the extreme end of signing a true love weights pledge and getting a ring and all of that stuff. But that is not the only way that I see purity culture looking. I also see it in just our American culture in general, where we are so afraid that if we give children sex education, that they're going to have sex. And the right. people, that, people that believe this aren't even necessarily religious themselves, but they are just so uncomfortable with the topic of sex and sexuality. Um, there are folks trying to, make sex ed better on local levels but a lot of the time when they go to the school boards and they present evidence as to what a good curriculum could look like they get a lot of pushback from parents and conservative parent organizations who were like you're gonna teach my nine-year-old about anal sex which is not <laughs> what's gonna happen but it's really easy to get people riled up in fear about sex education yeah i mean i don't like using fear either but I I just look forward to the day that the fear is in the opposite direction. Like um, I talked to my friend, Emelinda McLean. She is a sex educator with this program called OWL. And oh, I love OWL. OWL is okay. great. Yeah, yeah, OWL is amazing. And they have a religious component if you want to add that to the curriculum mm -hmm. um, or you can keep it secular either way. You know, she was just talking about how she combats some parent concerns by saying, okay, you're really afraid that I'm going to teach your child how to have anal sex. First of all, I promise you that's not what's happening. Second of all, if your child has curiosity about anal sex and I'm not telling them and you're not telling them, they're going to just go to pornhub.com and get the yes, information they, they need. And 
the information there is what they should actually be terrified of. Absolutely. There's no consent. There's no conversation. There's no use of contraception. You know, like porn is not the place where our children should be getting their education. No. And the way that we can combat that is to have open communication with our children about sex. And this is where I would love to shout out another organization doing amazing work, Sex Positive Families. Um, you can find them on Instagram. You can find them pretty much anywhere, Sex Positive Families, LLC. And their entire mission is to help families raise sexually healthy children by learning how to start those conversations early. And one of the things they talk a lot about is how to talk to your children about pornography and make sure that your kids are getting the right information from you and not just, you know, assuming that what they see in porn is sex education because it's not. Yeah, that's really valuable. I hadn't heard of them before. I'm excited to look them up because my heart actually breaks when I consider the parents because they're not really giving a great sex education. There's a lot of fear because a lot of people have trauma in that area that they've never addressed. And if you have trauma or if you're scared to talk about sex as an adult with your adult partner, then how are you going to have the tools and skills to talk to your child? Like, how can we expect you to? I'm sorry that generation didn't have that experience, you know? Right. That's actually something I work on with clients a lot. Um, Many of the people that have done the purity culture dropout program that I started are parents themselves. And a lot of them come to me because they don't want to raise their children with the kind of shame and misinformation or lack of information they had. Mm -hmm. So I work with them on learning how they can talk to their children about sex and sexuality. And it's amazing. Once you get those conversations started, some parents are now like, I can't wait for my kids to ask me about sex because I'm ready. (laughs) I know what I'm going to say. And I know, you know, what resources to use. And yeah, you're right. Um, If you don't address your own discomfort, there's no way you can then have a chill conversation with your kid because your kid's (laughs) going to be like, mom's acting like a weirdo. (laughs) She's really uncomfortable. Totally. Yes. Um, this is, you know, potentially heavy, but I think it's the elephant in every Christian space that needs to be addressed. And that is that 70% of abortion clients recognize themselves as Christian, um, or identify themselves that way. So this is obviously a topic that all of us are Christian as Christians are supposed to rise up and say, we're against this. We would never do this. We would never take a child's life. And at the same time, potentially 70%, you know, are sitting there thinking, Oh my God, but I did that. So what does that look like in, in your work and what you're doing? Do you encounter a lot of people that come out of purity culture that have had abortions They've even had abortions because of purity culture, their ignorance, not bringing a condom, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that is a really great question. Um, So just so folks know a little bit more about my professional background, I worked in abortion care for a little over a year at the beginning of my career. And I did that in several cities in Pennsylvania, um, the most recent being Philadelphia, where I'm located now. And I saw, my job was as a counselor. So I was the person that would speak to the people before they had procedures and make sure they understood the procedure, make sure they were fully consenting, et cetera. And I can't even tell you how many times the people in front of me said, just so you know, I don't believe in this. Like they felt the need to clarify with me so that I would not think they were like a bad person, which of course I didn't. Um, I had a lot of people say, this is totally against my beliefs, but I have no other choice. This is totally against my beliefs, um, but I really need to do this. And there were, I, I know a lot of folks that work in abortion clinics and they talk about how they've seen people on the picket lines one day and in the clinic table on the chair the next. Right. Um, and, two things that I can share stories that I have witnessed. Um, I was 
assisting with the procedure, holding the hand of a young woman as she was preparing to have an abortion. And I had done her counseling session and she said that she had never had an abortion before. This was the fir a first for her. But then she said to me, this is so familiar. I feel like I've been here before. And I said, well, didn't you tell me you had never had an abortion? And she said, oh no, I haven't, but I was the hell house girl in my, or I was the abortion girl in my church's hell house. And then she said, this is nothing like we portrayed it to be. Wow. So for anyone who doesn't know, and God, I hope a lot of you don't know what this is because it's horrible. <laughs> um, a lot of Christians, organizations, whatever, took Halloween as an opportunity to make their own version of a haunted house, which was just completely fear-based space where they would put on display certain quote sins and then show what hellfire and damnation looks like. You probably know this, but there's a documentary about hell houses that came out in 2002. It's cool. just called Hell House, I believe. Oh, I have to watch that. Oh yeah. Look okay. it up. You're just going to be so mad when you watch it. But I think if you have listeners that aren't familiar, that documentary is very interesting. I know I'm laughing through the Hell House portion because it's one of those things where you've got to laugh instead of crying. Um, but that's not to imply that I take abortion lightly or the topic lightly at all. I just think it's so important to speak through with someone like you that has an education on it because 70% of Christian women have been through this experience. And I bet a lot of us are still hiding that truth from people or feeling immense shame, having a lot of conflicted feelings about the spiritual realm if you've taken a spirit out of the world and they can never have that opportunity to re-enter, you know, like all the confusion that comes with it. But from just like a clinical point of view, what does it look like and how have you seen women process that moment that come from a purity culture background? Whenever I was working directly in abortion care, many of the patients would tell me that they were Christians or, you know, I also had uh, Muslim women who were fully garbed who came through and had an abortion. Um, so there were definitely people who were vocally and outwardly religious having the procedure, but I never got to talk to them about their feelings after. So part of being in, um, you know, in that kind of healthcare world is that you, you see the patients and then they're, they're gone. Mm -hmm. um, and now that I'm doing work with people that have come out of purity culture, I actually haven't had clients who have had abortions come to work with me because most of the, most of the clients I've worked with either didn't even have sex at all until they were married or maybe still haven't had sex um, or were just so terrified of having any sexual activity that they were very, very extra careful. So I haven't had the opportunity to process it with any folks um, well after the fact. Well, when you're in that space, do you get the reasons why they're doing it? Or that's not a part of the conversation either? Um, as an abortion counselor, do I get yeah. the reasons why they're doing it? Uh, I That's not something we ask, but sometimes people feel very overcome with shame and guilt and volunteer that information. I know from whatever research I've done that the common reasons women have abortions is a huge part of it is financial, um, lack of resources, not having the confidence that they'll have the money to mm -hmm. raise a child, people that are in, in abusive relationships. In the work that you're doing now with the purity culture, survivors and stuff, have you encountered anyone that's had abortions that have spoken about their experience with that? I actually have not encountered any of the folks that I've worked with directly in the purity culture dropout program as having had an abortion in the past. Um, most of the folks I have worked with closely were so terrified of having sex that they either didn't until they were married, or maybe they come to me still not having had sex with a partner. Um, so I haven't actually gotten to speak to anyone raised in purity culture about their abortion experience and how it, you know, whether or not they have thoughts about it long after the fact. 
Right. Yeah. I will have to do an entire episode on that eventually, of course. We can dive into that more later. But something that you just brought up that's interesting is people that are still terrified to have sex. Mm-hmm. You counsel people that are, you know, getting up there in age that have, you know, not been able to conquer those fears. Yeah. Um, I One of the things, one of the reasons that I think sex education is so important is because having the information can make it seem less daunting and less scary. Like when you know facts about how your body works, how other people's body works, bodies work, and what people do together sexually, it can demystify and take a little bit of the fear out of that. So I have worked with folks who have never had sex with a partner. And I've also worked with some women who had sex maybe once or twice when they were a teenager and then were so freaked out by the fact that they did it that now they're in their late thirties and haven't done it much since. Mm -hmm. So I definitely talk to them quite a bit about, um, you know, the things that they're afraid of and all the questions that they have about what they might encounter out in the dating world. It's so devastating to me just really laying all of that out because I think the myth that a lot of people are still perpetuating is that we need purity culture to honor God, to keep us in line, to keep us on the straight and narrow. But there's such little acknowledgement in those spaces of the genuine effects that it's had on people. And it's not just about, oh, now we're trying to swing to the other side and allow for promiscuous sex and everyone do whatever they want. And, you know, you're a secular educator that's just going to be like, throw out all of it. Who cares about this? It's not that. It's healing people from a lot of torment and shame. And that has morphed into women well into their 30s, 40s, even 50s, still praying and holding out for their husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm not out to shame anyone that's in that position, but you don't get there by having comprehensive sex education and being no. raised in a household where sex is like, okay, and free and an open dialogue, you get there by having this sort of institutionalized fear wrapped around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And for all the good intentions of purity culture, which is like to keep us from pain and to keep us in one relationship where we'll thrive for the rest of our lives, that's not a lot of people's experience traditionally. Yeah. And that makes me think of um, another common experience of women in particular who were raised in purity culture is latching on to a man early in life, maybe because they've had sex with him or they've let him quote, go far too far. And then thinking they have to force that relationship to work because that was the first man that they ever let touch their body. And so I got married. Yeah. And that can often lead to unhealthy relationships, downright abusive relationships. Um, just trying to wedge yourself into a relationship structure because you feel like no one else is going to want you because this is the man that like first had sexual access to your body. Mm -hmm. And I have worked with women who came out of those relationships after maybe being in a 10 year unhealthy, unhappy marriage. And now we're like, Hey, I'm in my thirties now and I'm starting to date. And can you help me like understand my sexuality and help me understand um, my body because they never really got the time to learn those things. Yeah. So the education you're giving is, are you actually just teaching people about body parts as well as, you know, like, what does it all look like? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I have um, my, I've been a sex educator for a long time and have a master's degree in human sexuality education. And for the majority of my career, I worked with teenagers and I was teaching comprehensive sex ed and HIV prevention to teenagers. So the stuff that I find myself teaching to post purity culture folks, isn't all that different. Um, There is, so from a sex education perspective, we say that there are five circles of sexuality. 
Um, let me see if I can remember them off the top of my head. <laughs> One of those circles is the anatomy, physiology, reproductive health part. So I definitely have clients that really want to know things about birth control, um, sexually transmitted infections, especially folks who are dating and new to dating or maybe venturing into having casual sex for the first time. So I definitely do a lot of the reproductive health physical stuff. So sexual and reproductive health is one circle. That's when we talk about people's bodies. And that's when we also talk about kind of the nitty gritty how to's of sex and sexual behavior. So I have clients that are like, I would love to know more about anal sex, for example. Can you tell me all about it? And we do. Um, mm -hmm. I have another circle of sexuality is talking about things like sexual harassment, sexual violence. Um, another is talking about sensuality. So that is our bodies, sexual response cycles, um, how we feel about our own bodies, the fantasies we have, the things that we find arousing. Um, and then there's sexual identity. So this is where things like sexual orientation come up, people's gender identity. I actually cannot even think off the top of my head. So many women post-purity culture I have worked with come to a realization maybe in their thirties or later that they are bisexual, mm -hmm. um, but they've never, it's never occurred to them to honor that part of their identity. It's never occurred to them to even acknowledge that part of their identity. So some of those people are in monogamous relationships with heterosexual men, but we talk about how they can still honor their bisexual identity in the context of their monogamous marriage. Um, and then the other, you mean just by acknowledging it internally and with their partner without acting on it without acting on it um, with other partners unless that's an agreement of their marriage right um, I do encourage the people that come out as bisexual to get involved in queer community and to have an active fantasy life and an active masturbation life that honors those parts of their identity and that they can be out and proud and that your relationship does not reflect your sexual identity. You can be bisexual and be married to anyone of any gender. You can be bisexual and be monogamous um, and that their bisexuality is not contingent on the relationship that they're in. That's awesome. Um, now that you're bringing this up, I think this is a great like format to kind of address. So I'm just going to like intro it. What is this? The It's called the five, whatever. What is it called? Um, the five circles of sexuality. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'd love to dive into each one of them from your perspective because the crate, like each one of them would be so triggering for a different reason for someone in purity culture. Oh, yeah. The interesting thing about this to me is that they are all completely fundamental to the sexual experience. If you want to have sex in a very holistic way that addresses every element of it, which a lot of us are robbed of that opportunity or that knowledge or that expertise when we're not educated on sexuality. Um, but the fascinating thing to me is how triggering and unavailable each of these five categories has been to us all coming out of and surviving purity culture, or if you're still within purity culture. So let's get into them one at a time. What's one of the first circles? Sure. So the first circle that I would mention is the sexual health and reproduction circle. So this comprises information on sexual behavior, anatomy, physiology, reproductive health, contraception, abortion, and sexually transmitted infections. So that's just like brass tacks of sexuality. You're the physical act of it. How do you keep yourself safe? Mm -hmm. um, how your body works. Yeah. So again, it's, it's nationwide. It's not even just religious people because it was under the Clinton administration that they were instituting abstinence only education, thinking it was going to do us favors and it's done the opposite. So a lot of secular people were exposed to the same lack of education. Um, so there's a lot of adults running around in the world that don't know the fundamentals 
And then Christians, obviously, of course, like you said, there's a lot of fear about if we hear it exists, we're going to go experimenting with it immediately. And that's not the case. The more information, the more empowered you are to make wise decisions with your body instead Mm -hmm. of being haphazard and doing things ignorantly. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. I have had people come to me to work with me in the purity culture dropout program who weren't necessarily raised in an extremely religious household. They were just denied this kind of information and education. Yeah. It's a common story just being an American. (laughs) Uh, What's the next circle? The next circle is sexualization. So that's things like how we flirt, the kind of messages we get from the media and from pop culture about sex and sexuality, that it also includes things like sexual harassment, um, sexual violence. Wow. That's obviously a huge (laughs) circle for purity culture because um, there's always this us versus them mentality when it comes to society and culture and how culture is over-sexualizing women in particular. But in reality, I believe purity culture over-sexualizes women, you know, a million times over because mm-hmm. it makes us believe that our worth is in our virginity, that what we bring to the table of our marriage is our sexuality and our willingness to have sex whenever, however, our husband wants, submit to him. And it over-sexualizes men. It makes them out to be these irrepressible beasts and monsters that will mm-hmm. see a spaghetti strap and immediately, you know, get a boner. Right. So, you know, I think that all of that is so problematic in the culture. And then, of course, consent was never addressed in church because there was so much of women being responsible for how they were showing their bodies or not showing their bodies to the men. Um, so yeah, what's, look, what, what does it look like for you as an educator to walk purity culture survivors through that category? Uh, it really involves, so one of the things I like to do with folks is go back through their entire sexual histories and sort of analyze them. And by sexual history, I don't just mean when you've started having sex with a partner. I mean things like from birth till now, like what are the messages you got from your family? Um, If you experience sexual violence, like is that something you want to talk about? So I really work with people on identifying the problematic messages that they received and asking them to create their own new sexual value system because a lot of folks have never thought about what their own values actually are. They've been given a set of values by their family or by the church. So we work on actually writing down and listing what are your values around sex and sexuality. So that's one way that I address that area. I bet a lot of people you talk to have never been given permission to even consider what their personal values would be. Right. I've just only begun in the last two or three years creating my, a set of values that I believe honors my spirituality as well as my sexuality. But no one gave me permission to do that, except I'm, you know, a believer. So I believe the Holy Spirit gave me permission to do that. But as far as my church leadership, no, I was never welcome to create something that made sense for me as an individual. Yeah. And sometimes I find that folks coming out of purity culture maybe get caught between their value system they were given and then sort of like a pop culture, mass media, everything goes kind of sex and sexuality that they're not quite comfortable with. Yeah. And I always tell them like, you get to create your own values and they don't have to be my values. Like I have... You know, I have a very liberal, radical set of values myself as a queer woman who is a sex educator. You don't have to adopt my values. Like, you get to adopt your own values, and then we talk about how you can live by them. Yeah, recently, one of my commenters, one of the dissenting commenters, you know, said something like, I couldn't be a progressive Christian because I would feel guilt and shamed about not having sex. And I'm like, no, that's the exact opposite. This is really about all of us inviting each other. Like, if you tell me you are saving yourself from marriage, it's an autonomous choice. You've prayed about it, thought about it. You went to 
Germany on an extravaganza and came back and had a revelation that you just wanted to be with one person. And that's like, it's just like, I don't care what your story is, how you got there. I just want to know that you got there on your own, that it's not shame or fear based and that you are truly happy with your decision. Yeah. And that brings up, um, a good point about my philosophy as a sex educator has always been, whether I'm working with a 13-year-old or working with a 45-year-old, um, I don't tell you what to do and I don't make your choices, but I'm here to give you the most accurate, comprehensive, shame-free, real information, and you, then you you make your decisions based on that. And I can guide you, but I'm not going to tell you what to do and what not to do. And that is true, whether it's, you know, a kid or an adult. Yeah, that must be so freeing for people too, because I'm remembering my first experiences with Planned Parenthood, which does not just do abortions, y'all. I've been there for pap smears. I went there for birth control when I was married and I couldn't have, you know, afford healthcare, which is a majority of my life. I couldn't afford healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, I just remember sitting in the office when they were just non-judgmentally being like, how many partners have you had? Have you had anal, you know, recently? Da, 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 da. And I was just like, wow, look at this non-emotional line of questioning that's just making me feel like I'm a human being and that's okay. Yeah. I think a lot of times one of the benefits of folks working with me who are post-purity culture is that they've never just gotten to like talk about sex in a way that's not loaded and isn't full of shame and judgment. Mm -hmm. And I tell all my clients, like, you might be uncomfortable with this conversation, but I really want you to know that I'm not. I have heard <laughs> yeah. it all. I have, I've heard it all. I have seen it all. I have talked to people, you know, I have clients that are have never had sex with another person. I have clients that do sex work is how they make their living. Like I'm going to talk to you both the same way and none mm -hmm. of it is shocking to me. None of it's going to provoke judgment. And sometimes I think just creating that kind of atmosphere for someone to talk about sex is one of the most healing things that can be done. Absolutely. Yeah. Give me the next circle. <laughs> the next circle, um, sensuality. So this is, our level of awareness, acceptance, and enjoyment of our bodies and others' bodies. So things uh, that turn tough us on, <laughs> what yeah. turns us on, what audio visual turns us on, how our bodies respond when we're aroused, um, the fantasies we have, how we feel about our own bodies, etc. Do you, <laughs> I mean, I wonder if this is one of the most complicated circles. I, I think that it probably is for women to believe that they deserve pleasure yep. for anyone to believe that they're allowed to masturbate and explore their own body as women were told you know don't awaken or stir desire before it's so time from the book song of songs which ironically is an erotic novel about two unmarried people having sex in the bible but whatever <laughs> um that was always a justification from youth pastors to tell us not to masturbate and um you know, we weren't free to explore ourselves in those way because I've, I've also heard the, um, complete fallacy and men tell each other this a lot in church, which is that the more you masturbate, the more your sexual desire will increase and increase until it becomes so irrepressible that you just have to go out and have sex. And I've heard it of married men too. will say you can't masturbate within your marriage. Cause if you're fantasizing about your neighbor's wife, then you're just going to have to go out and have sex with your neighbor's wife. So <laughs> could you speak to that crazy yes, pants? Yes, I can. I can <laughs> um, as a sexuality professional, those things are patently false. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Masturbating is not the gateway to uncontrollable sexual urges that you have to act on. Mm -hmm. um, masturbating isn't known to, yeah, make you into some out of control sex monster. It is just um, our way of providing our bodies with pleasure. And I wanted to mention something when you said you think this might be one of the toughest areas for people post purity culture. You know, I have clients who were just taught that their 
their physical body didn't matter at all. And that, you know, yes, yeah. it was just their spirit that was important and their body was just basically this vessel while they were on earth in which they could, you know, worship the Lord. And as you know, this isn't my background, but from what I've heard and what I have read of other people experiencing this, they're like, I wasn't even taught to have any connection with my human form. Oh yeah. And not only, you know, does it become something you're supposed to completely ignore, but it's also supposed to be like vile. It's our sin nature. It's the the reason that we get in trouble. It's, it's something that we can't trust Mm -hmm. because our body will betray us at every turn. And that's, that's definitely a huge part of it. Yeah. And I will add that in this realm, I have worked with women who have ignored um, reproductive health issues for quite a while because they were just not, they just weren't comfortable confronting them. Um, Several women that had pelvic pain or vaginal pain or um, difficulty with penetration, they were just like, I don't want to think about it because they were just kind of not living in their bodies. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so sad. And also just being told to pray away our pain and our different issues. I'm sure a lot of women have just tried to pray away vaginismus without knowing but there's a word for it and it's yeah. diagnosable and it's real and treatable for sure. Yeah. How do you treat vaginismus? Because I think that's really important to address. I know a lot of Christian women have been still suffering through that. Um, one of the most common ways would be seeking the help of a pelvic floor therapist, a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, and those are people physical therapists who are specially trained in the muscles of your pelvic region. So if a woman has vaginismus and part of the issue is um, inability to experience penetration or just like a really, really tight vaginal, you know, opening, a pelvic floor therapist will work with that person on releasing some of that muscle tension through some exercises or through some dilation. That's awesome. Yeah. Is it a purely mental part of my ignorance on it, but is that what vaginismus comes from? It is not purely mental. Um, but you know, this is one of the things where I'm like, I don't want to speak on something that I'm not an expert in. I understand a little bit about vaginismus, but I feel like a, an MD or a pelvic floor therapist would be much more informed than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for some people, it is the result of sexual trauma or the result of like emotional trauma, such as people that were raised in purity culture. Um, but that's not it for everybody. There can be childbirth injuries. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Next circle. <laughs> next circle would be intimacy. Um, the degree to which we express and have a need for closeness with another person, like loving someone, being vulnerable with someone, trusting someone, um, sharing secrets with somebody. Mm, yeah. That's just like the basic communication that's um, ideal in a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us too were taught, you know, because we have to sleep with one person and that's only our husband or wife that when any of us has gotten into, you know, sex with someone we don't know very well or someone that we're not very comfortable with, it's easy for purity culture people to ignore the fact that they deserve communication of equal importance and value in those situations as well. Because I, when I was going on what I call my trampage phase, which was like coming out of purity culture and just abandoning it and swinging to the other side. Um, I didn't know that I was allowed to communicate with my partners. I didn't know or have the language to express when my body was being hurt or I didn't feel very good about something or I didn't even know how to get out of someone's bed if I didn't want to be in it Uh because you know, you, I also thought, oh, well, I deserve every bad thing that's happening to me. You know, if anyone was hurting my body, which I had a particular experience with that, I just floated above myself and really thought, well, this is what you deserve. You don't know this person. You're supposed to be waiting for your husband. Of course, you're going to suffer consequences. When in reality, 
even if you decide to hold on to the notion that you're sinning when you're having sex outside of marriage, which I hope we would all let that go and, and be much gentler on ourselves and allow for human experience. But let's say you wish to hold on to that value for yourself. You still deserve to acknowledge that if you happen to have sex out of that perfect situation, that you still deserve to not be hurt, to not be mistreated, and you deserve to communicate with that person just as well as you might a husband or wife. Absolutely. Um, Casual sex requires, casual sex doesn't mean treating partners like shit or treating partners as disposable. Um, Casual sex still involves consent and care and concern for your partners and both being careful with each other's well-being. Um, I definitely do a lot of work with clients around in this circle of sexuality. Um, There's when you've never been told that you're allowed to ask for pleasure or have the sexual experiences that you want to have, it's very difficult to talk to your partner, even your, you know, husband to say, can we try something different? Or maybe we switch positions or actually, can you do it this way or move a little to the left? Like I work with clients a lot on giving them examples of those exact concrete things they can say to a partner to make their sexual experience better and yeah and learn how to communicate right and I know a lot of us have already had these experiences but um like Emma Linda said from the OWL program it's so valuable and crucial to obtain these skills of communication and openness with partners when we're in a non-stressful situation you know, if you have a client, you can sit down calmly and have a session and play out a potentially traumatic moment, like being in bed with someone that you suddenly realize halfway through, you don't want to be in that bed, giving them the language way ahead of time. So when they happen to be in that situation, they already have the skills to get themselves yeah. out of there. And I also reaffirm for folks that it's hard to communicate in the moment about sex. I'm a professional and it's still hard for me in my relationship in the moment because it's such a vulnerable time. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're naked with somebody and you're, you don't want to hurt their feelings, it's a very vulnerable thing. Um, so even, even sex educators aren't always so, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's just, it gets easier with practice, but yeah. Especially not easy if you've never even thought about the fact that you're allowed to communicate and you're allowed to ask for what you want. Right, totally. And our final circle is this is a doozy: <laughs> sexual identity and gender identity uh, circle. Uh oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I I would love to use this opportunity to talk about how purity culture views gender is very binary. So I have been using the word woman a lot when talking about, you know, folks with vaginas and vulvas, but that is not, vagina and vulvas are not limited to women. Um, You can have any sex assigned at birth and any gender identity. So the sexual identity category, um, that's things like the sex we're assigned at birth, what gender identity we actually are, the gender roles that we are taught and our sexual orientation. So (laughs) I know that that is a black and white rigid (laughs) thing. Yeah. That um, aside from us deserving pleasure or conceptualizing that we deserve pleasure, this is obviously the most exhausting, difficult topic that I encounter just in my work with Christian people, the most backlash I get is on this particular subject, which is heartbreaking because it's so clearly bigotry to me. I I can't see it any other way. I'm like, I'm sorry, my empathy goes a long way with you if you've been raised to believe that gay people will go to hell and you believe that commenting on my content and, and reminding people of that is actually a, a quote act of love because you're helping people not go to hell. And I had more empathy for that in the beginning when I started about two years ago. And at this point, I'm like, I have exhaustedly provided as much information as I can. I've tried to tell you how many people are validating biblically even that God has a kaleidoscope of 
creation that should all be honored, that it's all actually God breathes and beautiful. And we need to embrace people of all different identities. And even if you don't agree with it, you just need to shut up about it because you're not having their experience. And you can just stay in your own lane and worry about if you're going to hell or not and leave everybody else alone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's really complicated and difficult. And I'm sure, you know, I can only imagine what you encounter with people coming out of purity culture trying to address these things because they were outright ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, also in sex education in my public school as well. No one talked about being gay or being trans yeah. Which I guess would be my first question to you too. And you've spanned 20 years as a sex educator. I wonder how much change you've seen in culture and society, you know, versus how much Christians may have caught up or not caught up to those yeah. awakenings. I mean, that's a wonderful question. And I, I speak about that a lot. Um, so I'm a queer woman and I... And I've always, well, since about 2002, worked specifically with LGBTQ young people and worked in areas of LGBTQ health, in particular with transgender children. And the strides that our society and culture have made around queer identity and queer gender identities is massive in the last 20 years, even in the last 10, even in the last five. Um, There's also a lot more language that we have to describe um, sexual and gender identities that we didn't have before. And this is where I like to remind people that there have always been LGBTQ people since the beginning of time. We have always been here. Um, There's a lot of folks that will say, oh, it's a trend. And, you know, why are there more trans people now than there were 50 years ago? There were still trans people 50 years ago, but they weren't out or they were in hiding or they were subject to a lot of violence like there's no you know there have always also been other societies and cultures that honored gender fluidity um one of the things that i think a lot of folks don't know is that before europeans colonized america the folks already living here we're much more accepting of gender fluidity and sexual fluidity. And when the Christian Europeans came and imposed their religion and their culture on the natives already living on this land, they also imposed restrictive gender roles and homophobia and transphobia. So we have always been around. Um, Luckily, society is shifting to recognize us more and more and to realize that um, the best way to support your, like if you have a child that comes out as LGBTQ, that the number one, um, the best thing you can do is accept them for their health and their life and their positive life outcomes. So yeah, I have seen a massive amount of change, um, but there's still tons of work to do. Yeah, it's almost disheartening, but it's just like, we can't give up. (laughs) No. Um, Another thing I really wanted to mention in the the circle of sex and gender is that um, one of the arguments I hear people say is, well, there are only two sexes and you are either a boy or you're either a girl and that's it. Um, They're very unaccepting of non-binary identities and they're very unaccepting of trans identities. And a lot of their argument is rooted in biology. They're like, well, it's either this or this, but um, sex researchers have been discovering in the last few years that there's actually a lot of variation in our biological gender. So some of us are XX and some of us are XY and have chromosomes that, you know, are in line with what our traditional ideas of male and female are. But a lot of folks are somewhere in between and there's a lot of variation on what we think of as biological gender that we're just beginning to discover. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. I should look into that more. Um, And then there's intersex identity, which is folks who aren't, who do not appear rigidly male or female based on their chromosomes um, and their sex assigned at birth. And there are as many intersex people in the world as there are natural redheads. It's 4% of the population. Oh, so, really? Yeah, we can, we have people out here maybe espousing these rigid ideas about 
biology, but <laughs> there's a lot of intersex people as well. Yeah, I actually spoke to someone from the God is Great community who learned on his mother's deathbed that he was born intersex. And he had always felt like something was amiss or that he was missing some piece, some bit of information and couldn't quite place it. And then everything came together when they had that conversation. And um, it's my personal decision and opinion that I did not want to circumcise my son. And I... I process it in the same way. I'm just like, I can't imagine having this newborn baby made divinely, you know, formed in my womb and then do anything to alter his body in a way that I, in my opinion, see fit. To me, it's like, this is his body. And the same way that we've just been presented circumcision as, hey, this is just what you do. You have a boy, you cut off his foreskin, you don't even think twice about it. And even in the hot- When you're a baby. Yeah, exactly. And I was in the hospital a month and a half ago and it wasn't even a discussion. It was just like a question. They they have so many discussions about so many other choices you make as a parent. Like, you know, do you want to give him this vaccine or not? Do you want to do this or not? And, and for circumcision, it was just like, oh, you're bringing him in here, right? And I had to kind of be like, no. <laughs> um, but the point being, there is, um, you know, there are people that are trying to help change the view of this and trying to make it illegal for Mm -hmm. parents to make a decision when they have an intersex child. Because for a lot of our history, if a penis seemed to be the dominant feature on an intersex person, then they would go that way immediately. And I understand that too. It was like they wanted to protect their child from abuse, from societal, you know, confusion and, etc. But at the end of the day, you know, if my child had come out intersex, I'd be like, that's not my place to decide which way to go on this. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you probably know this already, but California just struck down um, a law that would have protected intersex babies from that kind of surgery and that kind of choice. Oh my God. Why? I don't know, but intersex activists and LGBTQ activists are very heartbroken over it. That is despicable to me. I can't believe that because that's, (laughs) God, and why, why are we like this? That's, that's mind blowing to me Mm -hmm. in California too, of all places. That's really despicable. There's um, a church that I really am not fond of called Bethel in Redding, uh, California, and they are constantly on these issues and trying to advocate anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans I'm sure they had a lot of opinions about the intersex thing as well, yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is just so ignorant because this has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with sexuality even. It's, it's how you're born. It's yeah. just you're created that way. <laughs> There's no, nothing else to say about it. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to hang up and bang my head against a wall for a little <laughs> bit after hearing that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> So there's a lot to go, but I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, I think the the very last thing I'd love to know is if you encounter someone that does still want to hold on to their Christian values, do you take an approach that still respects and honors the way that they want to address that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have no feelings or I guess, prejudices about what other folks, what religious beliefs are important to them. I have worked with people who still wanted to participate in a Christian community, and we've talked about how they could find a queer-affirming church. Um, I worked with a woman once who was very active in her church, but still wanted to undo all this purity culture stuff. And while working with her, she was able to have some really great conversations with other people in her congregation about um, transgender acceptance. Mm. I, in my own life, have close friends who are clergy and they are queer affirming. Um, I have a friend who was a trans man who is the programming person for all like youth programming at a church. Beautiful. Yeah, there are um, 
you know, I, I, my aim is not to change people's religious beliefs and I'm not even qualified to do that. Like I'm a sex <laughs> educator and I can give you all the information you need about sex education. And then it's really up to you to like integrate that with your value system. Yeah. I just think that's important to say because like you said, I mean, speaking of binary, uh, the, a lot of us are presented the binary of be perfect and be in purity culture or be a total of Jezebel Ho and you know, you're forgetting about all of it. And it's like, no, there is a space in between and there is a way to be both honoring your spirituality and your sexuality at the same time. Yeah. And that's really the route that some folks go and I help them in the areas that I can. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Erica. Really yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> Um, don't hang up now, but I'll do a little outro. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, how can people touch base with you and learn more about the purity culture dropout program? So I am most active on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Erica Smith.sex.ed and it's E-R-I-C-A. Um, I will be doing another round of purity culture dropout later this year, but in the meantime, over the summer, I'm going to be doing some live sex education classes that are like webinar format on a variety of sex ed topics that are most asked about by people coming out of purity culture. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you for anyone that's tuned in. Please reach out to Erica and sign up if you are just genuinely, you know, seeking out some real education and filling in some gaps that might've been missing on your journey and your sexuality. And that's it. We love you all so much. God bless.